Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Jankowski, and today I'm excited to be joined by Charlie Olson, the co-founder and CEO of Pando Pooling. Pando is an innovative new income pooling solution that allows people in high volatility careers to pool their career risk. Prior to founding Pando, Charlie worked in private equity and search fund investing. He holds three degrees from Stanford, including MBA, Master's, and BA. We're excited to host Charlie and to hear more about the company's founding and the attraction it's seen to date. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Peter, great to be here. Thank you. So could you start by telling us about your background? Sure. Definitely didn't follow a, a straight path. I was raised in a combination of Chicago and Hong Kong before going to high school in Connecticut, college out in California at Stanford. I enjoyed it so much. I stayed a fifth year, took another lap around the track and added a master's in U.S. history and made my mother proud by getting my Jeep and driving to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where I lived for four years and found an awesome boss and mentor and a guy named Bob Grady and was fortunate enough to work at a private equity firm called Cheyenne Capital. And having the ability to do that in a place that I love, like Jackson, was, was, was extraordinarily special and returned to Stanford Business School to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Uh, I definitely wasn't certain that I was going to start a company. That's a very interesting background. And so how did you get to where you are now as a CEO and founder of Fando? How did you get the idea? I'll get to the idea in a second. I mean, the short of that answer is that I found the right co-founder. However, you know, I went back to school having a background in private equity. I had a feeling that I wanted to operate, but I wasn't sure what that looked like. I considered search funds. I considered operating at a private equity firm for a portfolio company. I actually didn't think I had the right creativity to come up with an idea myself. And by the way, I think I've affirmed that belief in myself. <laughs> but as it turns out, I've got a great eye for finding partners. And uh, I was fortunate to meet Eric Lax, my, my co-founder uh, of Pando. In my, and we got close my second year. He's the smartest person I've ever met. And he had been doing research with a labor economist at Stanford studying how basically we are graduating more people into an increasingly volatile winner-take-all economy. And in addition, our generation is unique in many ways, but one of, the, one of them is that we are much less reliant on community-based institutions for support. And, and so if you kind of look at those two macro trends, you know, we have more career risk and volatility and less community-based support. You know, Eric and I saw saw a hole and, you know, wondered if there was a solution that we could deliver for the modern economy. And Pando was born, I think, from both of us falling in love with the, with the problem and, and feeling passion and purpose in pursuit of a solution. Uh, we had actually tried it to start a couple different companies while we were at school and uh, found that we kept coming back to income pooling and the idea behind Pando. That's great. I'm curious to hear more about some of the other companies that you guys tried, uh, but we'll save that for a little bit. So tell us more about Pando. You've described the problem, the volatile winner-take-all economy, less reliance on community support. How does Pando fix those problems? Yeah, we've come up with a solution that we call income pooling. And the basic idea uh, of Pando is that we've created a platform where uh, you, Peter, could come and find a group of people that you're excited about, a group that you're excited in, in their future and their upside. And that group agrees to a common set of terms 
whereby each person agrees to contribute a small portion of their uncertain future upside to the shared group. And we call that arrangement a, a pool. And we call the activity income pooling. And, and Pando makes our money by, we take a small fee, a small portion of pool contributions, uh, which means we go on the ride uh, with the people that decide to pool. If that pool is highly successful and there's a lot of cooperative benefit, Pando makes more money. And on the other hand, if no one in that pool ever hits that hurdle that they set, no harm, no foul. There was never a contribution. There was never a distribution and Pando didn't receive a cent. And the, and the logic here is for those of us who are in these winner-take-all high volatility careers, Pando allows you to diversify and to protect against downside risk. And in addition, gives you an opportunity to find people around you who have extraordinary upside. And instead of just owning one lottery ticket, in this case, I am the lottery ticket, I have the opportunity to, to hold a few others. Uh, and, and lastly, and, and this was really critical as, as I've kind of built my pandos, there's an aligned set of incentives to encourage partnership and, and encourage a group, a group to pay attention to each other, to work together, to cooperate. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer that the world is not zero sum and that partnership can yield positive benefits for everybody in a pool. And so that's, and that's kind of how we thought about building Pando. It's, it's been a really fun ride. I think one of the things that made it, that was challenging early on, frankly, was deciding what our beachhead market was going to be. Uh, there's many places that you can conceive of uh, adding value with Pando and, and income pooling. And we actually looked at a few different places. We looked at entrepreneurs. We, we looked at business school students and uh, professional baseball players. And we ultimately landed on professional baseball players which you know, I'm sure is uh, to some of the listeners here may not be in immediately intuitive why we chose professional baseball. Uh, and I think it'd be helpful if I gave you maybe just a quick case study. So a professional baseball player drafted in the first round of the MLB draft. There are 30 of those players per year. Those are the 30 best players in the world. At the time of the draft, their expected future earnings are $45 million, right? Sign me up. However, however, the key, key variable here is that half of those players will go on to make less than $1 million, with the other half, therefore, averaging over $90 million in career earnings. And so their career outcome, in many ways, is driven like a coin flip where there's a ton of uncertainty, a ton of things that are outside of the athlete's control, and they had no way to affect those odds. And so what Pando has delivered for baseball players is the ability for a group of players to come together to contribute a small portion of their uncertain future income to that shared group and protect against that very real downside risk and hopefully give these individuals the dignity of a more secure financial future. Yeah, that's really helpful to bring it to life. Thanks for sharing that. That's quite a bit of volatility. So the other piece you mentioned was around the incentives that folks have in a pool to cooperate with each other. Can you talk more about how the incentives and community parts of the model work, perhaps continuing the baseball example? Yeah, so I actually don't think the incentives affect the outcome in baseball in the same way as it does in other places. For example, a group of entrepreneurs that come together. I think for baseball players, the community is emotional. 
that baseball is a challenging sport to ascend to the highest ranks. And it is very lonely in that even if your best friend gets called up, it means that you did not. Now with Pando, they have a bench. They've, they've got a fantasy draft. They've got a team of people around them and, and, and they can celebrate the success of seeing others in their pool do well. And so I think it's largely emotional, the, the community-based support in baseball. In, in other verticals, let's focus on entrepreneurs, for example. I think you can imagine this group being a little bit like a board of advisors where, you know, if you've got five founders that are going through similar challenges together and they can get on the phone and chat about what works, what doesn't, best practices, especially if these founders come from different backgrounds and they have different skill sets, they can lean on each other to amplify their own abilities as founders. And again, in baseball, in a, in a sport that is so independently performance oriented, where you either make the hit or you either make the catch, that version of cooperation isn't relevant. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So Charlie, are you in a pool yourself? Can you tell us more about your pool and how that's worked? I am, it would, which is super exciting. You know, when I started, I was pretty confident I wasn't going to be a customer as I have no talent in throwing or hitting a curveball. But this past February, we launched a product for business professionals that was much more up my alley. I, I pulled with two classmates of mine from Stanford Business School, one of whom is an awesome entrepreneur building a really cool company. And the other one owns and operates a private equity fund. And the, and the three of us have come together with a, a shared mission and a shared purpose to both do extraordinarily well. I think there's a, a little natural competition about who's going to end up being the net contributor in this group, but also knowing that this is a group of people that I'm incredibly excited to support through life's turbulence and any ups and downs along the way. And, and, and it's been fun to uh, work together with those individuals to try to do our best to improve each other's outcomes. And, and I'm thrilled about the start of this pool. I don't think we'll end up with three people. It's just where we started and, and these things can grow organically. And so we've put things on pause for now, but we're always looking for additional pool members. So if anyone listening is interested, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So on that note, you've talked a little bit about the benefit here for founders. And you mentioned when you were looking at beachhead markets that you looked at entrepreneurs and MBAs in addition to baseball players. I know that right now, I think you guys have a, you have a product out with MBAs and you've announced plans to offer this to entrepreneurs and football players, if that's right. Could you talk a bit more about your thought process for how you picked or sequenced those markets? And I'm also curious for your thoughts on just generally speaking, how you think about extending to these new verticals, so to speak, versus expanding the relationships that you have with existing customers, let's say by offering other financial services products, because, you know, once you have some of these folks in the pool, you have a lot of insight into their, a lot more insight into their financial situation. You could think about offering wealth advisory or other types of services of those sorts. How do you think about the trade-off between vertical versus more horizontal expansion? It's a great question, Peter. So first off, Yes, the vast majority of our traction has been in professional baseball. And just to put, put it, you know, frame that, we've, we've added over the past two and a half years, we've added over 385 professional baseball players onto our platform, of which over 170 have joined live active binding pools. And I think they're spread over 35 different pools. Just also to put in perspective, kind of like what we're talking about, the quality of player we're talking about, we expect that those 385 players 
that have expressed an interest to build a pool. Uh, of those 385, we expect that group of athletes to make $635 million over the course of their career. So, you know, this is, this is a, it's a talented group of individuals and, and, and a group that we're really excited to help. You've highlighted something that is something that Eric and I have thought a lot about uh, since starting the company, which is depth versus breadth. And when you're bringing a product to the market where there are many destinations that make sense for the product, how do you think about winning broadly? Is it, is it going shallow but wide or narrow versus, and deep? And, and we definitely took the kind of second strategy, which is entering the baseball ecosystem, trying to uh, do everything we can to provide a wonderful customer experience for those individuals before testing the waters elsewhere. And we're in that, and we're in that process now. We have tested the, tested the waters in the NFL there's kind of obvious benefits, I think, to this product there. The average career length in the NFL is 2.3 years. The nickname for the NFL is not for long. And, and I think that that's warranted. In addition, you know, for entrepreneurs, there's some common stats that I think 10% of startups will have any sort of financial outcome for the founder, 10%. So, you know, that's certainly another example of a high risk, high reward, high volatility game. And, and business school students, funny enough, this is a group too that, you know, a small portion of a graduating class will end up making a majority of the total money earned by that class. And, and it's very hard to predict who those individuals are going to be. So for the time being, we are focused on delivering income pooling solutions to a broader group of individuals with the, with the goal for Pando being that over time, we want to build a platform where anybody in any career can come to us, search for, find, or build their pool. But in order to get there, we need to win narrowly. And I think that means delighting a small group of people first and expanding from there. And as you kind of have highlighted, I think there is a ton of opportunity for Pando to continue to add value to our clients um, by offering a host of other more traditional financial products and services. Um, however, at that point, we're then competing with many incumbents that have made a name and a reputation by doing those things. And, and frankly, Pando is in a position right now where we don't need to compete. We're the only ones doing what we do, and we want to be the best in the world at doing that. That makes a lot of sense. As a graduating MBA, but still currently an MBA nonetheless, I'm curious if you can share a bit more about your plans for that market. I, I understand that you've had a pilot in two schools in the West Coast to date. I don't know if there's anything that you can share about how that's been going or about your plans to potentially expand into other MBAs in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, the very start of February this year, 2020, we uh, launched a product for young professionals. And business school students being an area that we were specifically focused on. And you're, and you're right, we, we kind of uh, piloted this at uh, the GSB at Stanford and at Haas um, at Cal. And despite the fact that they are, those two schools are mortal enemies, we saw some common, common response and it's been exciting. And I think over the past three months now, we've added 50 MBAs to our platform and we've taken our first handful of pools live. And there's a few kind of things that we've looked at for that ecosystem that looks a little different in baseball. In baseball, we've set a cumulative hurdle 
So a group of baseball players that comes together agrees to contribute some small portion of their future earnings after the first 1.6 million that they make cumulatively. The reason we landed there is that the baseball ecosystem, while the outcome is highly volatile, the path to either make it or not make it is actually really well known. You're in the minor leagues, you then make the majors, you make the major league minimum, you then reach arbitration, you have three separate single year arbitrated salaries, and then you're a free agent. And so we could design a product that was actually curated to that path. For MBAs, the product has to look different. You know, I think graduating from uh, Stanford and for yourself graduating from Wharton, you're going to have classmates that are going off to do a host of wonderful different things across geography, across vertical, in, in, in every possible stage as well. So one thing that we've kind of tweaked is we've turned that hurdle, in, instead of a cumulative hurdle, we focused on it being annual, meaning we'll protect some amount of money that a graduating student will make each year uh, before they start to contribute. And, and, it, and one of the things that's you know, important to remember is that Pando has created the marketplace. We're going to help as an advisor, we are going to help to curate and make recommendations and matches, um, especially as we listen to what the individual wants out of this product and who are the other individuals that they're interested in pooling with, whether that's in their network or outside. We, we'll help through that process. But at the end of the day, it is the MBA's decision. It's the individual's decision. Uh, who they pool with and on what terms. Um, so it's been exciting. You know, like I said, taking our first few pools live and and I think we're, you know, as as it was in baseball early days, and the same and the same is true for many kind of you know network effect businesses, launching the market, launching the network is the hardest part. And once you can get the flywheel moving, uh, you know, if you think about our business, the more people we add to the platform, the more potential matches we have, the more exciting kind of, uh, you know, curated, bespoke product, uh, you know, I can deliver to someone who arrives on day one. Interesting to hear how you adapted your product to the MBA market as you've grown there. Always interesting to see how the, the product changes as you find product market fit in different areas. So you've, it sounds like you guys have had good traction, good product market fit, but I'm, I'm, I imagine that there have been challenges along the way. So I'm curious if you can share some of the challenges that you've encountered or maybe some of the other adaptations that you've had to make as you found product market fit in the different verticals that you've been operating in. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, a central challenge for us it, it sits around education. You know, what we're doing is novel and, and yet it's based in historical precedent. You know, groups have come together to protect and empower each other you know, in time memorial. And, and yet, each new person that I talk to or that we at Pando speak to for now, we have to educate. And so that, you know, that's an uphill battle. And, uh, you know, that has continued to be a challenge, especially as we move into new ecosystems and new verticals, where the customer's pain point, for example, could be different. And so the way in which product is relevant, exciting, you know, invaluable to them can be different. And so, you know, that, that has been one challenge, which is how do you educate with a fintech product that the world hasn't really seen, parts of which make a lot of sense and parts of which are new. You know, on the other hand, I think that one of the things that has been personally challenging is the rapid pace of change in my role. You know, I don't think this is something that I really appreciated coming in, especially with a background in private equity, 
where you're you're moving quickly, but you're you're more static in understanding your title and your set of responsibilities and where you're going. As the CEO of a, of a young company, my job changes radically every three months, and the responsibilities that I have for this business change radically every three months. Some of which I'm really ill prepared to handle. <laughs> so I've I've uh, you know, I just kind of want to, you know, underline there that I think one of the things that is so critical is surrounding yourself with people that make you better and end up complementing things that you don't bring as an area of strength. I was able to do that with my co-founder. I was able to do that with early uh, employees that we hired. I have a great executive coach, great investors and, and a supporting and challenging board, you know, and all of those things I think are really relevant in the growth and development of a young company. And, and, and there's one last thing, and this is relevant right now, is you know, the coronavirus. I mean, this is, a, this is a huge challenge, I think, for every company that's, that's living through this. And first, there was nothing in the playbook to help me think about moving an in-person, in-office culture to something that is remote, where you know, people are working kind of around the, around the country and going about our business and trying not to miss a beat. Secondly, how do we help support our clients? If you think about baseball players, for example, there is literally no baseball season right now. So that's a vulnerable group of individuals and they expected to be coming into the portion of the year where they're making their salary and all of a sudden there's no baseball. So that's, that's been a challenge. And, and then on the other hand, and this is something you just can't predict in a black swan event, our product at its core helps people better manage, mitigate uncertainty and risk. And, and it does that by leveraging and leaning into the power of community. And as you think about kind of what's going on around us right now, we're living through, at least for myself, the, the highest risk, most uncertain and most community destroying event of my life. And, and I feel like Pando has never been so relevant. And we've seen the uptick in demand as well on both sides of our business. So it's not only how do we adjust on the fly to a new normal, but how do you adjust on the fly while accelerating? And that's something that has been a, has been a recent challenge, but one that I'm very pleased with how my team has handled. Yeah, that's great. That's really insightful. So I want to dig into each of the three things that you mentioned. The first was around education and the challenge of educating people on the product. It was something I was thinking about when you were describing Pando and the business model, where I imagine it can be difficult to educate, let's say, the first round draft pick who has a lot of confidence in himself and his abilities to be a great baseball player, to try to educate him that you're young and you've gotten here and, and you've been successful to date, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of risk. You can get injured and that might end your career. And so the rational thing to do is to take out some kind of insurance on your, on your career, right? But that might not be super intuitive to someone who has probably an above average level of confidence in themselves. So it's almost a question of consumer psychology almost in terms of how you educate someone in that kind of position. So I'm just, I'm curious, how do you, how do you think about navigating that? It's a very, very good question. And, and we've spent a lot of time with behavioral economists thinking around exactly these issues. I think that generally those that decide to enter these high volatility winner take all games have a certain level of self-confidence. And, and that self-confidence is further amplified by the people around them, whether it's their friends and their family or their agent or the team 
and, and by the way, this is true with entrepreneurs as it is with baseball players. Everyone in that group is telling the individual that they can do it. Not only that they can do it, that they will do it. That they are a sure thing, big leaguer, right? That they're a sure thing, Elon Musk. And further, these are individuals who typically have had success along the path to where they are right now. So you've highlighted the problem perfectly, which is how do you open their eyes to the uncertain, volatile reality that they're about to walk into? And, and I think there's you know kind of two different things. The first is, and I blame a little bit our, our, our significant cultural lack of financial literacy here, but helping explain the reality of the ecosystem that they are going into. So in professional baseball, helping them understand all of the risk factors and the extraordinary difficulty to reach the level at which you make the huge sums of money and all of the things that have to go right on that path. And you know, we start there. And then in addition, I think one of the things that is interesting about Pando, and you talked about insurance, and we're not insurance, but we are. We, there's elements that are insurance-like. Pando is interesting in that there are some individuals that are attracted to Pando because it provides them the ability to invest in others that are like them with high upside outcomes, high upside potential. And so for that first rounder, they might look at Pando and say, this is really cool because I know four of these other first rounders and I'm really excited about their future. I'm really self-confident in mine, but I also know these guys are going to go do great things. And so I would love to share this experience with them. I'd love to share the journey. Oh, and you know, by the way, I'll, I'll keep this to myself, but there is also this added benefit that if whatever happens isn't what I'm planning, I have this fallback, which is mitigated risk and downside protection. And so there are ways that make Pando interesting in that you can, I think, talk to someone who is hyper self-confident and explain to them that, look, Warren Buffett is super self-confident as well. So are venture investors. And, and, and you know what? They never take a single bet. 100% of Berkshire Hathaway has never been in a single entity. Uh, 100% of Sequoia, any Sequoia fund has never been in a single, in single investment, right? And, and, and in some ways, the baseball player, you're like that, and we're giving you the ability to be the investor and to take control and better own your odds, right? So take control. Yeah, definitely. I imagine that would resonate well. So, so second follow-up was around the latter point you mentioned on the coronavirus and just the impact that's having today. I'm curious for your thoughts on careers generally and how careers might change. And what's prompting the question is the impact of coronavirus and how that's going to change the nature of careers, whether it's remote work or just general uncertainty around what careers look like. But I'm also curious how other factors like AI, the rise of the gig economy, how that's all going to change careers, given that you guys are in the business of, of helping to manage some of that uncertainty around careers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is exactly kind of some of the things that Eric's research was looking at and, and, you know, demonstrated that we are increasingly graduating people of the same type who are going to eventually have increasingly disparate financial outcomes. And, and that was true before coronavirus. And I think we saw the hints of the macro shift before coronavirus in a shift towards individualized and individual-centric careers. And I think coronavirus just acts as an accelerant. Some of the things that you've highlighted, right? You know, work from home policies and newfound worker flexibility. 
we're, we're seeing a proliferation of the gig economy in, in those who are interested in pursuing improved work-life balance. <laughs> Our generation, I think, is going to be eventually infamous for job hopping. I think that there's a stat that I saw recently that we are likely to work for somewhere between eight and 10 different institutions when our grandparents, it was something between one and two. It all circles back kind of to this central point that we're moving in the direction of more people pursuing kind of siloed pursuit of career. And I'm not making judgment on that for better or for worse. And, and, and as we become increasingly independent, I think we will be increasingly isolated. Despite our ability to exercise this podcast on a Zoom and then put it out to the world on an awesome piece of software, I, I think we struggle with isolation. And, and it, this turns back to kind of some of the things that we're looking at in Pando, which is the power of community suffers the more independent and isolated we are. And I don't think that's a world that I want to live in. And so if we are moving in the direction of an increasingly high-risk economy where we are alone, I want Pando to be a part of the South that helps people better take control of that career risk, whether that means taking risk off the table or for people who have a really you know, sure, kind of sure-footed career trajectory, putting risk on the table. And, and for example, partnering with entrepreneurs, there's also no judgment there. I want to give people an arsenal of tools to help them better control the greatest asset that they own, which is the ability to generate future income. And if I can do that in a way that leans into and leverages the power of community, that again is a world I want to be a part of. Yeah. And I could see that community piece being really powerful, especially if this becomes a somewhat new normal where we're all working remotely, not in an office space with our coworkers. It's a way to stay in touch and to still have some sense of community, even if we're not in person. So I can definitely see that resonating in this environment. On a slightly related note, any advice that you might have for someone just starting out their career in the fintech space, especially given the uncertainty and the environment that we're in? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think this is particularly relevant right now. But, you know, one of the things I think that makes the fintech space particularly challenging to enter in many ways is that uh, there's just a ton of regulation. And that is also, I think, part of the reason for why fintech, I don't think, has modernized. Financial services economy hasn't modernized in the same way as many other portions of the economy have. And yet, I think in the time of coronavirus, we are living through a radical change in, in our economy and I, and I think our culture. And I think these periods of dislocation and movement are going to be periods of opportunity. And, and even in the face of tons of regulation that exists inside the fintech ecosystem, I think that this is exactly one of those times where it's a really good time to be an entrepreneur. It's a really good time to try to read the tea leaves, to, to try to predict not just where we're going in the next three months, but what changes are happening right now that will leave resounding marks on, uh, of change over the next 10 years. And this is, this is a, a bad time to be an incumbent. It's a great time to be an opportunist. And, and, and when I say opportunist there, I, I, hope that, I hope that isn't heard as, as take advantage of the horrible situation we're in. Rather, I think it's be opportunistic in how you pursue being a part of the solution. And, and you know, that's something that I think a lot about right now. It's how in another life, in the next Black Swan event, I hope that Pando is in a position and I hope enough people um, are in positions with support from us 
where we can help soften the blow of this high volatility, high uncertainty moment. And so for those who are entering, it's a good time to be brave. That's great advice. Thanks, Charlie. And on a final note, just curious what you do for fun when you're not working. Yeah, the, the Jackson, Wyoming stuff might have given me away. You can, you can find me outside. I love to hike and bike and fish and ski. I, I probably have too many hobbies, which means I'm not good at any of them, but I really enjoy being outside in nature. I get a lot of peace and perspective from that time, especially if it's spent alone. And Jackson's a, a good place to be for all that. Well, thanks, Charlie. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your advice and for all the insights. Excited to see what comes next with Fando. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it.